Hello everyone, and welcome to this episode of Sleep and Relax ASMR. On today's episode, we continue our very new series, which I've titled 50 States USA Ramble. Not very creative, I know, but it's accurate. Gives you an idea of what the point of the series is. For those of you unfamiliar, I have been tasked with creating a ramble um, pertaining to the 50 states of this great country. Perhaps you listened to the first one, which was Alabama. Um, that one was well-received, and I thank you for that. So hopefully you enjoy Alaska, which is the next state, alphabetically speaking. Now, this is a ramble, so don't mind me if I just go around in circles are entirely off the grid and I begin to just ramble about absolute nonsense. So, where to begin with Alaska? Much like the state of Alabama, I don't know a whole lot about Alaska. From a, I suppose, uh, technically southern USA perspective, I've always associated Alaska with terribly cold weather, long days, long nights, and uh, folks that just love the idea of living in nature and um, roughing it. The first person that pops into my head when I think of Alaska is Mario Chalmers, Kansas basketball legend, and my Heat longtime point guard and NBA champion. I believe he uh, was born and raised in Anchorage up until the time he left to uh, Kansas to play basketball. I compiled a bit of info here about Anchorage um, before we proceed. See, to you, it seems like I've just been talking this whole time, and in reality, I'm clicking pause, and as little things come into my mind, I start to want to I'll say learn about them. I mean, I'm, I'll probably forget about them later, but just something. Anchorage, uh, officially called the municipality of Anchorage, is a unified municipal consolidated city borough. It's the first time I've heard that term, city borough, in the U.S. state of Alaska, in the West Coast of the United States. It has an estimated 200 and it says here 58,000 residents as of 2018, making it Alaska's most populous city. I've got to be honest, um, and if you live in Alaska, I love to just know how and why. How do you manage to live in Alaska? Listen, I know a few people that have um, taken cruises up to Alaska and they marvel at the natural beauty it possesses. Um, you know, it's really second to none. And I've had a couple people, again, go and um, one pair I know went in the summer months and just loved it. Another pair went closer in the uh, 
winter time. And uh, same thing, you know, very different experiences, but the beauty really shown through. But, um, you know, you have to be very thoughtful about how you end up in Alaska. But if you live in Anchorage, my guess is you have all the downsides of a big city. So, you know, at least in my perspective, I'm thinking you want to go to Alaska so that you can escape the idea of a big city, but at the same time, if you're in Anchorage, you are in the big city. So I would almost view it as worst of both worlds to some degree. You know, I could be wrong. I'm, I'm not trying to uh, poo-poo on Anchorage or Alaska in general. I really don't have um, much other than a neutral opinion on Alaska and the city of Anchorage. I'm not sure if I myself could do it. I don't know if I could live there, but, you know, I don't know. I could be wrong. Maybe Anchorage is absolutely lovely to live in, but I just think if you're going for the quote-unquote big city, why would a lot Anchorage, excuse me, be the city of choice? I mean, generally speaking, if you live in Anchorage, um, email me what it's like, what do you like to do, what don't you like about it, what do you like about it, you know, you tell me, I'm all ears. Of course, when I also think of Alaska, I also think of the film 30 Days of Night. Now, 30 Days of Night is a three-issue horror comic book miniseries written by Steve Niles, illustrated by Ben Templesmith, and published by American company IDW Publishing in 2002. The series takes place in Barrow, Alaska, so far north that during the winter the sun does not rise for 30 days. In the series, vampires, being vulnerable to sunlight, take advantage of the prolonged darkness to openly kill the townspeople and feed at will. Initially an unsuccessful film pitch, the series became a breakout success story for Steve Niles, whose previous works had received relatively little attention. And, you know, obviously, again, in 2007, it was adapted into a film with the same name. It was directed by David Slade and stars Josh Hartnett and Melissa George. The story focuses on an Alaskan town beset by vampires as it enters into a 30-day-long polar night, as one would expect since it is adapted from the miniseries I just mentioned. Uh, the film was produced on a budget of $30 million and grossed over $75 million at the box office. It's always interesting to me to read about budgets and box office. It's amazing for me to consider that for one film, a $75 million box office would be a massive failure. And for another film, it would be a great success. I think The Blair Witch Project was a huge success not necessarily because it grossed um, a huge amount of revenue but I just think it was such a cheap film to make 
that making anything above, you know, if I had to put a number, let's say anything above, you know, $2 million would have been a huge success. Because, I mean, I might be wrong, but I, I think that film cost less than $500,000 to make, even probably less than 100000 Because if you think about it, the, the scene, the setting is, you know, basically just a forest. You have three people in the film the entire time. You know, it's not like it really is littered with a whole ton of special effects or anything. So, you know, you consider 30 Days of Night, you know, $75 million doesn't make it a, you know, mega box office hit compared to, obviously, Avengers or Star Wars, you know, Mission Impossible, Fast and Furious, obviously, but... You know, if you spend $30 million to make a film and end up doubling your money, it's a pretty good, uh, pretty good day at the office, I'd say. So then, after 30 Days of Night, there was a sequel, Dark Days, which was released on October 5th, 2010. I think it went straight to home video. And actually hit pause right now and I compiled a bit of information more about here's the plot of the movie I remember this film being a bit different when I watched it um, in my younger years but let's see so again as mentioned the town of Barrow Alaska is preparing for its annual 30 days of night blah 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 as the town gets ready a stranger rows ashore from a large ship and sabotages the town's communications and transport to the outside world. Barrow's sheriff, Eben Olson, investigates and also learns that his estranged wife, Stella, missed the last plane and must stay the 30 days. That night, a band of vampires, led by Marlowe, attack and feed most of the townspeople, forcing Eben, Stella, Eben's younger brother, Jake, and several others, other survivors to take shelter in a boarded-up house with a hidden attic. Marlowe finds a stranger locked in the station. The stranger believed Marlowe was going to turn him into a vampire. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah. I obviously don't want to... You get the gist of, um, of the film. Right? 18 days later, when a blizzard hits, sometimes the uh, plot provided by Wiki, in particular, is almost like it's just overkill. Legitimately, like right now it says here, they're talking about using whiteout to, um, I don't know, hide some information. It's for me the plot should only include, you know, what is the, what is, what twenty percent of information can you provide to someone interested in the film or just learning about the film that gives that person eighty percent of the picture and then use and then that last 20% of information or idea about a film you know that's where the in my opinion at least the viewer should fill in with their own imagination because telling me um like legit it says here uh Bo creates another distraction with his tractor um you know uh, forcing the vampires to diverge 
um, at Ben arrives at the station where he confronts Carter. It's like details that once I see the film will make sense, but right now it's just almost a bunch of gibberish. Two weeks later, Stella and Eben see the deputy Billy signaling them with a flashlight and bring them back to the station after finding out uh, something about their family. It, you know, I'm just saying. Maybe Arvin who bites Billy. Billy knocks Arvin into the heavy-duty shredder. It's just—it's almost just too much, too much information. Like I feel like they're giving me the eighty percent of the information that gives me. 85% of the entire film, or 90%. And again, for me, I think the plot should just be that 20%. I mean, I really don't feel that strongly one way or another about it. But you're listening. Thanks for still listening to this mess. It, it is a ramble after all, and I guess technically you signed up for it. So hopefully at least you're enjoying the ride. Let's go back to box office. 30 Days of Night was released in twenty in 2,855 cinemas in the United States and Canada on October 19th, 2007. In its opening weekend, the film grossed $15,951,902, placing first in the box office. Cinemas. It's one of those things that it's actually sort of strange because they are cinemas and yet no one says at least no one I know no one I know says I'm going to the cinema they say let's go to the movies I went to the movies but it's kind of strange because in reality you're going to the cinemas to enjoy a film or a movie not that you're going to the movie to watch a movie I'm just curious. This has basically just become an episode on 30 Days of Night. But I'm actually just curious, mostly because I remember seeing the film in bits and pieces. You know, um, I never saw it in cinemas, as it were, or the movies. But I did see it, you know, I think at a party. We kind of had it on the background. No one was really paying attention from what I recall. But I think I've caught it on TV a couple times. So, for me, I remember it being a pretty interesting movie, but let's see what uh, the experts say. On the review aggregation site Rotten Tomatoes, the film has a 51% score based on 157 reviews with an average of 5.6 out of 10, making it obviously pretty average, I suppose. The site's consensus states, quote, while 30 Days of Night offers a few thrills, it ultimately succumbs to erratic execution. End quote. Metacritic reports a score of 53 out of 100 from 29 reviews. Roger Ebert gave the film 2.5 stars out of a possible four. It drives me crazy that Roger Ebert would use a four star system instead of five. And in reality, I think even the five star system leaves a lot to be desired. Because the five-star system, I think the more stars you include, the more accurate depiction for the film. Because I think a five, 
you know, two is mediocre, three is basically average or slightly above average, four is very good, and five is excellent. But I think with 10-star system, you know, it kind of gives you a bit more leeway because a mediocre film could be a three, a four, you know, is a five really, what does a five mean? Does that mean it's a mediocre film still? Is it a good film that left a lot to be desired? So I, I almost feel as if the five-star system is inadequate and certainly a four-star system is much worse. I mean, I, I don't know how he got away with that for so long without armchair critics like myself getting upset. Either way. So yeah, Roger Ebert gave him a two and a half stars out of a possible four. He criticized several plot holes, such as the vampires moving with supernatural speed and some attacks, but ponderous slowness in others, but also singled out Danny Houston for being, quote, quite convincing as a vampire leader and summed up the film as, quote, well-made, well-photographed, and plausibly acted, and is better than it needs to be, end quote. That's enough talk about Three Days of Night. I guess I can't profess to discuss Alaska without discussing Alaska Airlines, if for no other reason than because why is there an airline called Alaska Airlines in the first place? Was it rebranded? Was it originally for travel within Alaska? Shouldn't Alaska Airlines basically just be Air Canada? Alaska is essentially just Canada in terms of its proximity. Maybe it's culture. But... That'd be a good question to pose to my Alaskan, 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 Alaskan listeners. Is whether you feel your culture is closer to that of Canada, if only because of your immediate proximity to the country. I understand you are American, yes, but you are just so close to Canada that I just wonder. I just say pause for a brief moment. Again, I know it didn't seem like it, but I jumped out and jumped back in because asking about Alaska Airlines made me really wonder a bit more. So it is a major American airline. It is actually headquartered in SeaTac, Washington, so not even in Alaska, you posers. It is the fifth largest airline in the U.S. when measured by fleet size, scheduled passengers carried, and the number of destinations served, which for me is very interesting. Alaska, together with its regional partners, Horizon Air and SkyWest Airlines, operate a large domestic route network, primarily focused on connecting from the Pacific Northwest and Alaska to over 100 destinations in the contiguous, contiguous United States, Hawaii, Canada, Costa Rica, Mexico. Which is very um, random to me. So you would obviously operate in the U.S. I mean, Hawaii is also a U.S. state, so it makes sense. Canada, with its proximity, makes sense. Even Mexico was not only proximity, you know, adjacent to the United States, but also a destination. But just throwing in Costa Rica, which is a destination within its own right. And I think Costa Rica as a country has done um, quite a bit to step up its 
um, game when it comes to the uh, tourism scene. Obviously, the country has always been a uh, destination, but I think they've invested a lot more in resources to sort of put out some like-for-like matches with places maybe in Mexico and even other countries in in, um, Central America and the Caribbean. Yeah, because now passengers, tourists, they they probably have a pretty clear idea of what they think of when they think of a tropical getaway. Yeah, I think Costa Rica's done a good job. But it's just interesting to me that uh, Costa Rica would be the only other country there really mentioned. The airline operates out of five hubs, with its primary hub being Seattle-Tacoma, Seattle-slash-Tacoma. Alaska Airlines is currently not a member of any of the three major airline alliances, but it plans to join One World by the end of 2021. This information is from, it looks like a couple years ago, so it could very well be that uh, that merger already happened, or the acquisition. As of 2020, this is, excuse me, as of 2019, the airline employs over 16,000 people, um, and been ranked by J.D. Power and Associates as having the highest customer satisfaction of the traditional airlines for 12 consecutive years. And um, I'm going to see how much it costs to book a flight from Anchorage to San Jose, Costa Rica. Okay, about 218 as of the time of this recording to fly to beautiful San Jose, Costa Rica and then return one week later. But um, returning back to Anchorage, maybe I should take a trip instead of San Jose, Costa Rica. I should just check out Anchorage. And I compiled a little list here of top reasons to visit Anchorage, which I have not read yet. And I really just wanted to leave it towards the end so that I could talk about Alaska, and then maybe, who knows, um, convince myself about taking a trip to Anchorage. So, top reasons to visit Anchorage. Only in Anchorage can you meet a moose, walk on a glacier, and explore a vast natural park all in a single day. Between mountains and an inlet surrounded by national parks and filled with Alaska wildlife, Anchorage combines the best of Alaska in a city that has the comforts of home and the hospitality of the last frontier. That for me is a great line. Like a really great marketing line there. The comforts of home and hospitality of the last frontier. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Anchorage does offer kind of some big city amenities, but the same kind of friendliness, I suppose, and hospitality of, you know, the last frontier. So here says glaciers. Discover the five top places for glacier views in the Anchorage area. You have wildlife viewings, Alaska Native cultures, gain an understanding of Alaska Native lifestyles, beliefs, and traditions, national parks. Anchorage has exceptional access to five national parks. The Chugach, I don't know what that is. Incredible and accessible. Explore Anchorage's favorite outdoor destination. So, I mean, it's mostly um, 
Like here it says here, find moose. There are more than a thousand of these iconic antlered animals in Anchorage alone. Spend a little time here and you're sure to find one. There's even a little known moose spot a few miles from the airport. Spend a little time in green spaces and you're sure to find one. See and hear glaciers. The landscape surrounding Anchorage is studded with these gems. Want to see a bunch all at once? Take a day cruise from nearby Seward, 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 or Whittier, or take the air for a sightseeing tour. And, um, yeah, I think uh, the couple that I saw, or that I know that went to Alaska, either the winter or, it was either the winter, it couldn't have been the winter, I guess, it was probably the spring, actually, when snow, snow was still there, but starting to melt. And they did exactly that. They actually were able to take a plane and fly over. Was it a plane? No, helicopter. They took a helicopter and they were able to see the glaciers and just the general landscape, which was obviously something fantastic. Learn about Alaska Native cultures. The Alaska Native Heritage Center is one of the best places for an introduction to diverse Alaska Native traditions and language. With many native cultures in Alaska, each has its own distinct features and lifestyles based on their surrounding environments. Ride the rails. The railroad is what gave Anchorage its start and first linked broad stretches of Alaska together. The city is still the starting point for rail travel in Alaska, with trains departing daily in the summer for Seward, Prince William Sound, Denali, Talkeetna, and Fairbanks. Pedal the Coastal Trail. Anchorage's bike paths travel 135 miles through the city, and the crown jewel of the system is the Tony Knowles Coastal Train Trail. Excuse me. Rent a bike downtown and take off on the 11-mile shore trail. Dive into Alaska's largest museum. The Anchorage Museum is the largest museum in the state. This isn't just a city museum. It shares the story of Alaska. These art and history galleries are the best primer for a trip through Alaska. Go flight seeing, not sightseeing, flight seeing. Flight seeing is one of the best ways to explore the mountains, soar over glaciers and spot wildlife from above. Anchorage has more pilots and planes per capita than any place in the US and the busiest float plane base in the world is here too. Cool, so now you know quite quite a few things and I guess it makes sense right because there are probably so many areas of Alaska that are so remote and nearly inaccessible or totally inaccessible that in reality you really wouldn't have much of a choice other than to um, to flight scene but all this for me is extremely interesting like I find all this to be like legitimately very compelling reasons to view Alaska to visit, maybe to check out Anchorage in particular as a sort of starting hub. So I think it's very cool. There are a couple other things here. It says here, enjoy nearby Parkland. The Chugak, which I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing correctly, is the closest wilderness area with access points. A short drive from anywhere in the city. Find a piece of this 9,000 square mile mountain range to call your own for the day. Take a hike, raft the rapids, or just sit in the forest in peace. 
hole. Sea whales. Anglers aren't the only residents who follow the fish. Beluga whales chase salmon runs just south of the coast. Take a trip down to Turnagain Arm. Turnagain Arm to spot them. These white whales get as big as a car. Looking for bigger species? Continue on to Seward or Whittier for a day of whale watching. It's very cool stuff. They have bear viewing on here as well. View the Northern Lights. Look, that would obviously be an incredible attraction to be able to go and um, view the Northern Lights. Active from September through April, the Northern Lights dazzle. Night owls can pursue the shifting colors of the auroras near Anchorage. That would be amazing. You can try dog sledding. Like a lot of, I guess, what you would consider like typical, um, I'm going to say stereotypical Alaskan things as predicted, you know, in movies and TV, you know, dog sledding and obviously all the wilderness. Very cool stuff. And there's actually quite a bit still left. I mean, I just don't want to necessarily include all of them. Some of them are like, you know, food tasting and, you know, tasting fresh fish and that kind of stuff. So anyway, maybe for my next Alaska ramble, if there is another one, I will focus on another city. I'll kind of say I was organized or fair about it. I'm sure there are many beautiful things about Alaska. I just happened to pick on a couple that um, came off the top of my head. So with that, get in touch. If you are from Alaska, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, you can always reach out to hello at sleepandrelaxasmr.com. That's all for this episode. Thanks as always for listening, and take care.